Double Feature presents One Minute with European Zombie Circa 1980 Episode 14 We are knee deep well, knee deep-ish in Burial Ground and Zombie Lake Oh, Dawn of the Dead You light up my life and you light up the life of everyone listening to this podcast because I wouldn't be doing this if Dawn of the Dead hadn't appeared and all these goofballs had shown up doing their shenanigans after it. So, where are we now? Oh, it's Dan, by the way. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this thing that's happening right now. What am I talking about? Oh, Burial Ground, minute 14. Oh, boy. We left off. Oh, we had a lovely sort of uh, uh, tracking shot with everyone sitting at the table, apparently, I guess, eating lunch. Michael was complaining. And in the uh, and so uh, we had a table with Michael and his mom and the photographer and his gal and the writer I guess and his little whore or I forget what he called her I, I hesitate to say the word slut but um, because I hesitated I could say that um, and she's showing up in the background in the foreground you get the butler with J and B on a tray which makes me just want to watch like I said giallo films all day long and and George the guy who owns the place with this beautiful gorgeous red hair he's sort of like mm, red buttons is that who I'm thinking of I'm not sure but um, I'm going to have a little glass of uh, J&B as the two are coming into the room and we're all going to talk let's talk do you two have any idea what time it is? We don't know and guess what? You don't care <laughs> where's Professor Ayers? Anybody seen him yet? He's a strange type. I guess all scientists are. Do you have any idea what it was he wanted to tell us? Only vaguely. He's studying the magic practices that were used by the ancient Etruscans, uh, something connected with the survival of the dead. At least that's what I think it is. I've always been terrified of the dead. I hope we're going to leave them in peace. Last night I had this horrible dream. I was terrified. It was exactly as though every oh, one of us... Janet, darling, please, not right now, huh? Come on, let's walk around the grounds. The light's marvelous, you'll see. You coming? There's a bunch of great pictures waiting to be taken out there. Come on, huh? Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Yes, it's true. The early afternoon light is incredible in this season. Oh, in that case, I'll go out and sit in it and write my letter. Bye-bye. Shall I come along? As a special favor, yes. <laughs> come on, darling. I want to show you some of the pieces the professor's found. So if... If you let if you left off with Dan as he was talking about the previous minute, he was talking about how much he I was to, I was to, I I had did, what, did I just talk about myself in third person? If you left off in the previous minute, you heard how much I enjoyed that last minute the shot that started the grandfather clock and kind of wound around in the way he sets everything up. Once George takes the J and B, George kind of goes towards the table, and the butler kind of goes around him, and George goes up there as they're talking about the professor, Professor Ayers, who doesn't get 
uh, named in the in the Italian in the Italian the subtitles he's just the professor and uh, the George kind of goes up around they start talking about the Etruscans and the dead and things like that and you think this is going to go wrong oh wait this has already gone wrong it's a joy because this gorgeous shot that was setting everything up and giving you all this space which I'm sure if we were looking at the VHS we'd be seeing the grandfather clock on the edge of the left side and possibly at the end of the minute we see the guy with the mustache the writer guy right on the edge of the frame on the right but we're seeing much more and we're seeing this great on the far right look at the right folks if you're seeing this 185 or is it 178? I, I hope Severn put it 185. I imagine they did. Look at the little bit of like chandelier poking in. Just like this little extra bit of um, stuff, which which is just a joy. Um, and you get the maid in the background. It's beautifully set up. But there there is a feeling when everyone's talking about the Etruscans and the professor that maybe we should be cutting to something. And they do. They cut to a shot of Michael around the time when the photographer's gal is saying about her dream and Michael has a look on his face like he's crazy and you're looking at him like, yeah, Michael, you're crazy. And then it cuts to the photographer who is suffering from male pattern baldness and who kind of vaguely reminds me of one of Donald Trump's kids. Um, and um, so I, I look forward to seeing what happens to him within the next hour or so of the movie. Uh, but having, <laughs> having said that, you get those two shots then it immediately cuts back to the long shot, uh, the, the, the wide angle shot, the, the original shot, the tracking shot to end the minutes when everyone kind of gets up. And I love that the photographer and his gal get up and they go to the foreground and the writer who is sa- says like he's going to, in the, in the subtitles for the Italian, he says he's going to do some writing. In this, he says, I'm going to finish my letter. And he and his gal are going to the background, to wherever that space is. I'm not sure. Like, there's a window there. There's a window. At the end of the minute, you can see the gal with her red sweater. She's standing in front of a window. So, And you can't see that well into the room in the background because there's a door going out and blocking. But I don't feel like there's... I don't feel like the geography of that room works. I don't know, but... I'll stop talking about the tracking right now, but I want to just, I wanted to, I I mentioned I was going to cut to Adam Rockoff's Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the Slash Film, 78 to 90, 96. It's McFarland Books. They publish my 80s action movies on the cheap book, and they're going to publish my next book, From Beverly Hills to Hooterville. Uh, And I always liked Adam Rockoff's book, uh, but I I always thought the, the one problem I had with it is that to me it's a broad overview of the slashers. And if you kind of look at it, it's sort of it's a little over 200 pages and what is it the last like geez the last like 20 or so pages are post sort of the golden age ishness of slashers and it, it's it's and the first like 40 or it's I'm, I'm not, I, I didn't actually look at the pages but it's a little like 210 220 pages but probably only like 160 of them are actually related to sort of the main first wave second wave of slashers they barely touch on the second wave of slashers it's mostly first wave and if you know your slashers you know you can do more than enough talking about first wave I but I've always thought like McFarland did another book on slasher movies called I think slasher movies I've read it I don't own it but it's mostly like really in-depth plot descriptions from slasher films with like a paragraph of critique 
which is interesting, which would be like doing like a movie, a book like B movie westerns, and having like ninety percent of your book be plot descriptions of like nineteen thirties, fifty five minute long westerns, and then just a little bit of like this one's okay kind of thing. It's a, it's a bit of a weird book. I don't feel like anyone's written the definitive book on slashers. Uh, Justin Kurzweil from the Hysteria continues. Sounds like he might be he's revamping his. Teenage Wasteland book and might make it into the definitive one. Uh, my book with Joe Ziemba, uh, Bleeding Skull, a 1980s trash horror odyssey, has a lot of slashers in it, but it is in no way a slasher film book. It is an 80s journey through the 80s. I, I, I don't know if anyone's written the definitive slasher film book. I know there's someone's working on one like a hundred years of slashers, which I would argue with but I will still read. So I, I don't feel like anyone's written the definitive book on the early 80s slashers hell maybe that's for me to do but i just wanted to talk about this thing we talk about the the tracking shot here i just wanted to read this because i love this this has almost nothing to do with burial ground but i just give me a moment so um they're talking about uh jay lee thompson was it john dunning the producer of happy birthday to me hired jay lee thompson who uh directed the guns of navarone cape fear a lot of um, Charles Bronson films, and he he's talking about um, uh, um, uh, he's talking about J. Lee Thompson, and he says um, how experienced uh, Thompson was, and he says nothing illustrates Thompson's proficiency and exper- experience better than the film's large dance scene, which was shot at McGill University in Toronto. To this day, Dunning is still amazed how well Thompson managed to pull off the feat. When they did that dance sequence, Thompson was setting up, and I got a call. It was 10 to 5, and not one shot was made, and we had to get out at 6 o'clock. Jay Lee had spent the whole day setting up the shot, and I got there, and I rushed down and said, Jay Lee, we only have an hour and a half, and I have a whole scene to shoot. There are four pages. He says, John, don't worry. I'm doing it in one shot. We'll be out in time. I said, Jay Lee, how can you do that? But he tracked all through the dance on a crane and did the whole thing and got out. Boy, I was amazed. I'm used to younger guys taking all day to do little bits and pieces, and he just banged it out. I'm not saying that Andrea Bianchi did the same thing with this shot, but whenever I see a moment like this, which surprises me because I don't expect to see that in a film like this, I always think of that because if you've seen Happy Birthday to Me, which is a Scooby-Doo screwball slasher mystery but it's so much fun to watch. No matter what you're watching it on, although you should probably watch it on a decent widescreen print. I have the Mill Creek one. I don't have, is it Indicate? Who, who put out the, um? I forget the company that put out the, the UK um, disc, which is supposed to, Blu-ray, which is supposed to be really great. I don't have that yet, but I have the Mill Creek one and I enjoy the heck out of it. So I always think of that when I see this. And I know what you're saying, Dan, why are you avoiding this minute? I'm not. Because I talked about the tracking shot, and I, now I'm going to talk about the other thing about this minute that always... And forgive me, I got, I've got a window open because there's a lovely chill. It's in L.A. Well, I'm in L.A. It's in L.A. We're in L.A. right now. And we don't get a lot of lovely chill days. And we've, been, we've had a bunch of rain, and i got a window open, so forgive me. I just heard a plane, and now a helicopter is going overhead. I don't know what the hell is going on. But the best thing about this minute to me is listening to the dialogue... English, comparing it to the Italian, uh, the English subtitles which match the Italian, and it's things like I thought they got here in like mid to late afternoon and that's why Michael was taking a nap 
Michael says we wasted all morning. So they brought him here and then had him nap in the morning, which doesn't make sense to me. But then uh, on the subtitles and such, they say that to the writer and his gal, it's almost night. You've wasted the day, you slugabeds. Actually, slugabeds is in the English part of it. But it's so it's like, oh, it's morning. Oh, you've wasted all day. It's almost night. And then it's, oh, the early afternoon light is wonderful. But then in the subtitles, it says the afternoon light is wonderful. So I'm going to call this the afternoon. I don't know if it's the early afternoon. I don't know if it's the late afternoon. They say it's almost night. I think it's almost night to sort of um, uh, justify the zombies waking up, possibly. But it's funny. Yeah, Michael says we wasted the morning, which implies that it's probably... Uh, uh, late morning, early afternoon. Someone else says it's early afternoon light. Someone else says it's afternoon light. Someone else says that it's almost night. I have no idea what time it is. I have no idea where I am. I have no idea why it hurts so much. All I know is that those two or three guys set down that gal with the circly underpants in front of a door in Zombie Lake. And I want to know why. There's nothing we can do till the police come and find out what's going on. Too many things have been happening around here. We'll have to take the cadaver over to the hospital for an autopsy. I'm sure if anything's wrong, the police will send somebody over. Oh, it's the mayor governor's place. It's Howard Vernon, everybody. It's Howard Vernon who doesn't fully seem like he's awake during his scene uh, so they they set the body down lay the body down wasn't that a who song uh what was i saying oh yes they they set the body down and the the mayor steps out and we get a lot of great shots of all sorts of i i, I love it it's if there's also their kids and grown-ups and it's it's like a wide range of people are watching them and uh, I, it, it's, I just watched an episode of the Beverly Hillbillies called Silver Dollar City Fair. Was that it? Silver Dollar County Fair? Uh, it's from the eighth season. And uh, the Clampets go back to their hometown of Bug Tussle, which is outside of Silver City, uh, to get Ellie Mae uh, uh, husband. And there's a sequence where there's a big uh, county fair. And they've, they've established that Silver Dollar City has... 28 people but when you see it there are like a couple hundred people there and they actually say it's like oh two or three hundred people are here and it's like huh i thought this was just going to be like um an assemblage of the town doing stuff but it's actually like i don't know where it is and if anyone's listening could tell me please tell me quickly because i'm writing a book about the darn thing and i and and the closing credits were no help but it's clearly some sort of like fair or like it looks like a 
almost like this was 69 it looks like almost like an old october 69 uh, like an old west town kind of thing like you'd see in like um uh, leonard kurtman's curse of the headless horseman where like people would kind of go and hang out to get a taste of the old west you know it's like there's a basket weaving competition there's candle making there's um there's a guy um with his yarbs um yarb herb specialist you know and granny's always there kind of wandering in and going oh who's this beautiful young woman what is your name ellie may Clampett. oh ellie may stranger who are you and it's very funny but the whole time you're watching it you get the feel whenever it cuts to the crowd around Granny and Ellie that it's just a bunch of people where it was like, hey, we're shooting the Beverly Hillbillies at this Old West Street, this fair or whatever. Come and enjoy it. And you see them laughing at Granny and Ellie Mae and having fun. And it's like, it it seems like um, it it's very sort of verite almost. And that's when you see all these people looking on at the mayor, that's kind of the same feeling you get. Almost, especially like when you see like what looks like the entire town. And let, I, I don't know when this is set. Let, this is a tangent. I don't know when this is set. But look as it pans over everyone. They all look like this is the 80s. This all looks like 1980-ish to me. Look at the clothes. That's all 1980. I'm just saying this because this might come up later on. So what we're tr- as we're trying to set down the year, I don't think we could set down a year prior to this. It could have been any vague year. It's sort of the second half of the um, uh, 20th century. Well, well, 50 to 80. But, but, but looking at those clothes, like one of the kids has a sweatsuit on and the flannel the one kid's wearing. And so the kid has this cool sweater um, that is, is a smallest s-m-a-l-e or something it's got a red stripe and a, a white stripe and a blue stripe another kid has this cool blue sweater on this gal behind has very sort of feathered start of the 80s hair and it's cool and it's 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 clearly 1980 to me but having said that um, let's go back. And there is a point, too, when all these people are assembled, a car goes by in the background, and you can see someone like leaning against like a storefront, almost like, hey, what are you doing? You making a, a Rolling film over there? What are you doing? Is that Eurocine? They haven't been here in ages since um, Orloff and the Invisible Dead. What are you all doing? Um, you having a good time? But the, the main crux of the minute, obviously, is that clearly this has happened before. Uh, whether or not this is this death has any relation to the death of the hot gal from the start of the movie is because it's implied that they didn't know who she was. Um, I don't know if that has any relation to it, but the fact that they're all looking at the mayor, I think he's the mayor, Howard Vern's the mayor, right? He is more energetic in the like 35 seconds he's in Ogroff than he is here. Uh, it's 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 like is anyone gonna wake up? Could someone please wake up? You know, the only person who who got energetic was the nude gal who died earlier on, and she was nude. Don't come in, I'm nude. What film is that from? I will send you a copy of something if you could tell me. Don't come in here, I'm nude. Uh, as something like that. If you could tell me what line, what movie that's from, it was reviewed in the Bleeding Skull book. I'll send you something fun. Um, I probably. Uh, but what was I saying? Oh, uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, yes, well, gonna have to call the police and they're gonna have to send to the whatever and do an autopsy. I like to do an autopsy. So this gal, and 
I take it the Hank Kimball type guy is the dad because he he's the one who seems to cover up her area, um, her pantied area with with her dress. And he's the one who kind of gives him the really stern stare like, you son of a bitch. Although if it's Nazi zombies rising up out of a lake, I don't know if that is, I guess that falls within the purview of being the mayor. But still, eh, you know, it's... It is what it is, I guess, when you're the mayor of a town where there are Nazi zombies and kids with big ears and sweatsuits. So, yeah, so the mayor comes out and he says, we got to do this. And the police are coming and we're doing an autopsy, although clearly she died because of like the biting on her neck. I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to check to see if there's saliva on there or something? If he's dead, would he have saliva? I don't know. I don't know the full zombie mythos. But I guess we're in like sort of... You know, if we're, if we're talking post-Romero uh, Night of the Living Dead zombies, we're still technically sort of in very early days right here. There were zombie films, as I've said before, throughout the 70s, but they didn't hit with the proliferation that they did in the 80s. I mean, you know, we're five years away from the joyous Return of the Living Dead, and I love Return of the Living Dead Part 2 also, you know, and we're, we're around the time of the great, Toxic Zombies, a.k.a. Blood Eaters, which Massacre Video just announced they're doing a Blu-ray of. I'm so excited. I love that film to bits. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I there's not there's not much going on in this, this moment here, folks. They set the body down. They cover up her underpants. The mayor comes out. He waffles around for a few moments. Everyone looks at him sternly like, what are you going to do, mayor? But no one actually does anything, and then the minute ends. So there's not much actually happening here. Maybe something will happen soon. I applaud Andrea Bianchi for, or um, Andy for actually setting up a lovely tracking shot uh, with some nice composition. There's none of that here. Uh, there is some sort of verite moments when it cuts to Hank Kimball and the forest ranger, park ranger type guy staying next to him. The camera's very shaky and it moves over, but that's like that's Euro Euro Eurocine. You know, they they always like they always like they have moments where it feels a bit lyrical, and then another moment where it's like, eh, we don't care. So who knows what's what's really happening right here, folks? Except for the evil. I feel like when I, I'm one of those little dumb white kids in that. But I wasn't French, though. But I had the haircut, a lot of those kids. If you look, there's a shot where there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven kids. And there's someone in the background leaning against a storefront. I feel like I'm one of those dumb white kids on the right. One of the boys on the right. Um, possibly the kid with the big ears and the sweatsuit. Maybe the kid with the fun sweater with the red and the white and the blue. Red, white, and blue. American. He's going to be, he's, he's going to save the day. He's the American kid who's going to save the day and defeat the Nazi zombies. I'm making that up. I think we'll find out as we go. We're only at minute 14, folks. We've got a long way to go. And I guess on the way to getting there, I'd like you to enjoy this. (laughs) 